Would you stand with me this morning? Continuing our series, A Man Named Moses. And we need to do a little catching up before we dive into the text for today. Where we find is that Moses has been saved from death by his family who has hid him among the bulrushes and was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. Raised for a time among the Hebrews. And then continues to live in Pharaoh's house. Um, Many years later, he witnesses a, a Hebrew slave that's being beaten by one of the Egyptian taskmasters. And he quickly intervenes. And in the process... Um, He kills that taskmaster and buries his body in the sand. He thinks he's gone undiscovered. The next day, he tries to intervene between two Hebrew slaves. And they speak to him and they say, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses becomes aware that others know about his murder. He runs and as Pharaoh finds out, also desires him dead. He runs into the wilderness. There he discovers the daughters of the priest of Midian. And once again, he intervenes and he rescues them from some shepherds. He ends up marrying one of the daughters of the priest of Midian. And 40 years go by as he is faithfully serving as a shepherd. And God is working and moving behind the scenes in ways that Moses cannot think or imagine. Which leads us to our text this morning. From Exodus chapter 3. And it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw... That he turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore. And I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, When I am come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Let's pray. Father, we 
invite your presence into this room today. You are the speaking God. You are the God that looks into the wounds, into the brokenness, into the pain of the people that you love. And you're not distant. You act, you move, and you intervene. You redeem, you restore, and then you send so that we can be a people taking a good news to those who are broken. Father, there's a lot of people in this room today that very well might have started to believe the script of their enemy. God, we pray that as we encounter your presence and hear your voice, that we would walk away as changed people. Not because we're strong enough to change ourselves, but because you who are the great I am are strong enough for every burden we face. In your name we pray. Amen. Seeing correctly is important. It was about three years ago, I was in this room sitting um, on that side, and I was watching Pastor preach, and I was noticing over a few weeks that um, I was looking and the lighting and... um, I was getting blurry vision, and he was a little fuzzy, and I was getting headaches, and I was like, this is just weird, because I've always had great sight my whole life, and had never really been to the eye doctor other than as a kid. I'd always had just exceptional eyesight. So I went to Dr. Um, Wadehorn, and uh, I was like, you know, like, there can't be something wrong with my eyesight. You know, I'm, I've always had phenomenal eyesight, no problem at all. So he sits me down, and he's doing like the little clicky thing, and I'm being fascinated and out of nowhere. It's just like it goes from instantaneous, slightly fuzzy to like HD vision. And I was like, whoa, that was incredible. <laughs> I was blown away. And suddenly I was like, okay, maybe I do have a, a slight issue with my... And what was funny is then in that moment, he asked me, he goes, do you want to see what your wife sees without her glasses? And I was like, you can do that? <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. So he pulls out these lenses and he puts them in front of my eyes. And I was astounded. Uh, my wife is blind as a bat without her glasses. Um, it's really dangerous. So like if she's ever making me angry, I can just like hide her glasses from her. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. That'd be bad. I'd get in a lot of trouble. Um, but I, I was amazed when he put those in front of me and I saw as she saw, like I, I would be scared just to take even a few steps. It would be dangerous. I remember her telling me a story um, when she was a kid and the very first time she received glasses. And that night, she went outside and she looked up to the heavens and for the first time in her life, she saw the stars. And she said, Josh, I remember just standing there in amazement, looking up at the sky and seeing these things I had never seen before and like just standing there in awe and amazement. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we went to get our eyes checked again, and um, we had our kids with us this time, and Wade did the same thing with our children. He asked them, he's like, do you want to see what your mom sees? And I remember when he stuck it in front of, like, my daughter's eyes, and she saw what angel... Ruby was just, like, astounded. She was like, whoa, I can't believe, Mom, this is how you see. The key we need is to have the right lens to see correctly. Because when it's removed, we can't see at all. And Moses had lost sight. Now, it didn't happen in a moment. Um, It happened over 40 years, and it came from many, many forces. 
came from time, distance, and isolation. Moses trying to forget what had happened to him and what he had done and the anger of that moment. He tried moving on, tried taking on a new lifestyle and a career as a a shepherd, and he developed a family. But his experiences, what had been said, what he was running from, the people that were missing, um, he even quite possibly started to believe some things about himself. Losing sight happens to us also, though. There's things that we encounter in this life that we face and that we experience. Things that have been done to us and things that we have done that changes our outlook on God and changes our outlook on what He can do through us or with us. And they appear in any moment and instance where God starts to speak and suddenly like there's this, there's this wall that comes up where we're like, no God, no, you can't do that because of that. Or I can't do that. Or I can't become that. And I can't do that for your kingdom. Because that happened to me. Or I did that. That's where we find Moses today. God encounters him. And draws him near to his presence in this incredibly powerful way. And God starts to speak. And he says to him, Moses, Moses, I'm going to send you. And I'm going to use you. To bring deliverance to my people. And Moses' first response is, who am I? God, no. I think you picked the wrong mountain. I think, go go a couple that way. I, I, I think there's someone better that could be used over that direction. In order for Moses to regain his sight, it comes in only one place, by pursuing presence. This is what scripture tells us. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Now watch Moses's response. So it says, so he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. The picture we get is Moses is out here with all of his sheep and, or whatever he's shepherding at the time. Um, maybe it was preschoolers. I don't know. Um, and he's, he's up there on the mountain and he's doing his thing. And he notices there's this fire. He's on this journey. He's on this direction. And then... The Hebrew word here is, and I'm going to botch it like crazy. Ask pastor later. He'll be better at it. It's like sewer. And again, I added an accent to it. Second service too, that I have no idea why I added it to it. Um, It means to take away, to depart, to remove, to turn aside, to turn off. The picture we get is that Moses was on this destination direction. But when he saw and encountered the presence of God, there was a physical and mental and complete change where he's like, no, no, I have to stop what I'm doing and engage with this. And what's interesting is it also says that God was waiting for that moment. It says that God looked and when he saw Moses, Sua, to turn aside, to stop his direction, that that's when he spoke to Moses. Can I tell you, I'm praying for some of us this morning that we would have that moment individually. 
You might have walked into this room with a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness, a lot of situations going on in your life, and you're destination-minded in your head and there. And can I just tell you that the presence of God is here today. God is wanting to speak. He's wanting to move. He's wanting to call to the very core of your heart. And he's looking to see, will you turn aside? Will you listen? Sight regained. Purpose reclaimed. And hearts and lives are reborn only in one place. The very presence of God. That same opportunity is available for each and every one of us. The God that Moses encountered is the God that we still have today. The God that speaks, that calls, and that challenges us right where we're at. But will you and I turn aside to pursue his presence? As Moses did, as he encountered the very presence of God, he became aware of a few things. The first thing he became aware of is he became aware of the situation. See, what losing sight had done is uh, Moses had, he created some distance, physical distance. He's no longer in Egypt. He is physically far away from the cries of those people. There's a relational distance. It's been 40 years since he's even spoken to someone from Egypt. There's an empathy distance. They're forced under slavery. Things could quite possibly have gotten worse. When we left the Egyptian slaves, the midwives had just been told to kill the children. And then after that, the boys were being told to be drowned in the Nile. And that was 40 years ago. It's not likely situations have gotten that much better since then. What about a calling distance? Moses was running and hiding from the thing that he knew he had been called to do, to bring deliverance to God's people. Because of his wound, because of his brokenness, because of his mistakes, he's running from the very call that God has got into his heart. And yet at the same time, as we learned last week, the whole God's been working even in the midst of his brokenness. He was unaware to see that where he was and what he was doing was actually setting him up precisely for what God was calling him to do. The awareness that God brings to the situation, and I want you to hear this today because it's God's same awareness for your life. Did you hear how God described how he noticed the Israelite predicament? He said, I've seen their impression. God's looking into the situation. He says, I've heard their cries for help. His, his ear is near to the broken. It's, it's, it's bending down. His heart is beating for them. He says, I know their sorrows. And I've come down to deliver them. And so, Moses, I'm sending you. God's presence forces a choice. See, God's response to the brokenness that's around you is to send you. God's response to the brokenness of the people at your workplace, to your extended family, to your neighbors and your friends and loved ones. God's direct response to him hearing their cry and their plea and their prayer, it's you and it's me. God was bringing him back to an awareness of the call that he had placed upon Moses. 
God renews what he had already spoken to his heart. He says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've seen the oppression with the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. In other words, he's saying, Moses, while you've been hiding, I've been listening. While you've been running, I've been getting close. And while you and I've been watching, and while you've put distance from the broken, I've come close to them. And Moses, I'm calling you back to them. But the thing is, God calls Moses back to the number one place he has no desire to return to. He calls him back to the very location of his greatest mistake. When he tried to do it all by himself. When he committed murder. God calls him back to the place that he's ran from for 40 years. When God speaks, and when God calls us, there's inevitably a war of evidence. I want you to think with me just real quickly about the power of evidence. Um, We use it so often. Evidence is essentially the body of facts that we use to find out if something is true. Um, Lawyers do it. When they're building a case, they're looking for evidence. They're they're creating a file folder for it. Um, You do it as well. Think about it. The last time you were angry with someone and they weren't present and you were preparing what you were going to say to them when they became present, what did you do? You started a file of evidence in your brain. You had a little brain manila folder and you're putting in all the reasons why they were wrong, how they hurt you, why they're evil, right? You're like, I'm going to prove it to them. In your brain, you're just like mounting this stack of evidence. If you're a parent, you know exactly what this is like because like out of nowhere, occasionally you get lamb blasted by like your student and they're like, blah, blah, blah. where is this coming from? And how do you have this much? Like we do that. And the reason we do that is because we use evidence to prove things. If you're in a court case, what's vitally important is evidence. It's the facts of the situation. When God speaks, can I just tell you something? When God speaks, it is always present in the midst of the echoes of our past. The question that we are forced to face is what sound and what evidence will you choose to believe? Will you believe what God says? What he declares of himself and what he's capable of doing? Or will you believe the cleverly crafted lies of the enemy? You know, there's this Bible verse. We just heard about it already today. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We write that on pillows. Like, that's posted in, like, countless homes. And we do all this. And can I tell you something? That verse is vital and it's important. But, but the truth is that that's from God's perspective. If Satan were writing that, it would sound something like this. For the, I know the plans that I have for you, declares Satan. Plans to steal from you. To kill. To destroy everything you love. To destroy every plan that God has for your life and any belief that you have that he could use you. Because what I ultimately want is to see you destroyed. Satan's called the accuser. 
And he's pretty good with evidence, isn't he? We've seen it. We've experienced it. Whenever something comes up and God starts to whisper to our heart and suddenly there's like that wall where we feel like we can't get past it. We're like, I I, I hear you calling, but God, you can't. We do a Moses. God, you can't use me because I, who am I, God? Can I tell you something? The enemy will give you evidence. He wants to write on your heart and your life and for you to believe the script that he is writing over what God is saying and calling you to do. God speaks and Moses responds, Who am I? And the reason he does that is because Moses has some evidence from his life. And so let's look at that. Sam, will you come up here, Sam Phil? And I have a bunch, a few of you different people help me. The first piece of evidence that he does, you can just stand right there and you're going to have you hold this for me. The enemy wants to write on our heart about who we are. He wants to write on our heart about who we are, who you see yourself as, what you've declared over your life, or what others have declared over you, who you think you can become. Do you realize, again, Moses' first response is, God, who am I that you would even use me for this? Where did that come from? What can I tell you? The very first time that Moses tried to step up to the plate and be the deliverer, he tried to do it on his own. And do you remember what those two... Israelite slaves said to each other, who do you think you are? Do you think you're our prince and our judge? Do you realize that one day that's exactly who Moses is going to be? They are speaking against the very call of God's life. You hear behind their words the very lips of the enemy calling the call into question. I tell you something today? People have spoken into what God's already spoken over you. He said things to your life. And the enemy has sent people to you to speak directly against it. Because what's happening is he wants to write a different script of who you are. And he's going to give you every evidence in the world. Look how you've tried and look how you failed. Second thing he wants to do. Isaac, why don't you come on up? Second thing he wants to do is to write on us about what? You can come stand up here right next to Sam. Now this is a pretty compelling and convincing piece of evidence. Have you noticed how keenly you are aware of your own sins and mistakes and brokenness? What you've done... And what's been done to you. It's the reason that whenever you come to the altar for prayer. In the back of your mind. Like a pinball machine. It feels like there's this voice that just keeps rattling around. Look what you've done. Look where you've been. Look what you've said. Look how you hurt that person. Look. Because the enemy's trying to rewrite your script. There's some things that he's wanting you to believe. And he's wanting you to focus on what you've done and where you've been. Can I tell you something? That Egypt is the last place that Moses wants to be. Because it's where he has to confront what he has done. It's the place that he absolutely has no desire to go. Luke, you want to come on up? 
Next we have where. He's already spoken about who you are. He's already challenged you about what you've done. Now he starts to him where you don't measure up. Where other people excel and you don't. Then he starts to give you all the reasons why, oh, okay, man, you know, you, you've heard Paul up here talking about being like a small group leader. Well, that person could be a small group leader, but not me because I'm just not good with, guess what? We sound a lot like Moses. I, God, I, you can't use me because I, I've got this terrible mouth, God. Like, I, I can't speak well. Do you realize God's got a sense of humor? I, I love his response to Moses. He looks at Moses and he's like, hey, do, do, you do know who created the mouth, right? <laughs> You're complaining about something that, like, I can take care of in a moment, right? Like, but, see, Moses was keenly aware of, of all these things, but also where he didn't measure up. And we are the same way. We're keenly aware of the ways we don't measure up, where others excel and we don't. And then he continues his barrage with why. Luke, Luke Hart. <laughs> the enemy continues to write. Why? Why you can't. Why God can't use you. Why he won't use you. Why he shouldn't use you. Why you shouldn't even try. Why you should just hide in the scenes and be a spectator because you should leave kingdom business to other people who are far more spiritually mature than you. Why you shouldn't even try. Why you should just chill in the desert because guess what? You're very comfortable there and you've gotten to know those sheep pretty well. Can I tell you that Moses probably had names for all of his sheep and was very fond of them? I mean, because that's all he has to talk to out there. And yet God's challenging him. I'm calling you back. Can I have a question for you? I have a question for you this morning. What's your Egypt? What's your place that has mounting evidence for why God can't use you? What's the thing that the second God starts to speak, your wall goes up because of who? Because of what? Because of where? Because of why? What's the thing in your life that the second, like, someone even remotely asks you to pray, you're like, no, 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 you need to pick someone else, not me. I'm not, I'm not worthy enough. What's that, what's that area that like the second like someone's like, hey, I see potential in you and, and, I, and I see God doing some things in your life, like you instantly feel like you have to offer an excuse why they shouldn't see that in you. What's your Egypt? What's that sin you feel like God can't bring healing to? That wound. See, listen carefully. Moses had every bit of reason based on the evidence that was before him to believe there was no way that God could use him. Moses had already faced his destiny from an I am perspective. Moses had already examined the evidence and made a conclusion. Can I tell you something? We've got a, we've got a cup up here that kind of demonstrates us. We do this often. Um, we take on 
a mantle of something we are not supposed to wear. And it's an I am perspective. And we face our temptations alone, without God, without his presence. And we're like, I'm going to muscle my way through it. I am. I'm going to face it. I'm going to be the deliverer. I'm going to face that trial. I'm going to face that temptation. I'm going to conquer it because I'm, I'm just going to put, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And what happens though is this. Um, we stand here and we attempt to do it, but then the evidence comes crushing against us. Suddenly, when we alone by ourselves come up against the weight of the evidence and it comes on our life and then the weight of it comes against us, it crushes us. Can I tell you that almost all of us in this room, we've been here, right? This has been me more times than I care to admit. Where alone by myself without God's help, I'm like, oh, I could do it. And then what happens is then when that weight of that evidence comes across us, then suddenly this is what our life ends up looking like. And we're like, oh, and then when God does start to speak to us, we're like, God, I can't because look at my life. There's some holes. God, Moses was like, God, you want me to help bring deliverance to people? I I tried that. Did you you not forget God 40 years ago? Yeah, that didn't go so good. We tried to wear a mantle we were never designed to wear. Can I tell you something? I've learned I'm not the great I am. And I'm very thankful that I'm not. But I know the one who is. See, in the presence of God, what happens with the war of evidence is that it changes because God brings an awareness, not of who I am, but of who he is. It brings an awareness of God. It's an interesting play on of words in this section. What's revealed is the God who is I am. Because God's name is a reflection of his character and his ability. When God speaks his name, he's also speaking what he can do. God, I feel like there's no shot for my marriage. Well, I'm the God who is stronger than any brokenness you faced. God, I feel like there's no way out of this temptation. I'm the God who faced the cross, who faced your worst brokenness so you would not have to face it alone. God, I... I don't understand why I'm having to go through this. Well, I'm the God who's with you always, even to the ends of the age. God, in this section of Scripture, as, as Moses is going through it, Moses' response is, who am I? God's response, I am. Moses is like, I can't. God's like, I can. Moses is like, God, I can't do it alone. God's like, that's cool because I'm coming with you. When God speaks things start to be. In Genesis, when God speaks, the worlds and all of creation comes into existence. Can I tell you something? If God's voice... That was awful. If God's voice is present, then so is God's power. And see, this is the greater picture of how we're supposed to be. When we get it right, we trust in the rock who is I am. And I realize that because He is... I can. And suddenly the weight of all of 
the evidence comes against the great who is I am. Why? All the reasons. God, you can't use me because of that. God, you can't use me of who I was. God, you can't use me because of what I've done. God, you don't know where I've been and what I've got. God, you don't, there's all these reasons why you can't use me. Then guess what happens? Whenever we come to the God who is I am, our solid rock and foundation, then when the weight of the evidence comes across it, snaps. Because the weight of your evidence isn't as strong as your God. And guess what happens? You're not crushed. He is. And because He is, I am more than a conqueror. Because He is, there's nothing in this life that can faze me. Because He is, there's no temptation that is stronger than Him. And there is no wound, and there is no sin, and there's no place you've ever been that is stronger than His love and ability to redeem, restore, and change forever. You guys can just put them on the floor. Thank you, guys. Can I tell you something? I plead with you. Don't shrink the capability of God based on the capability of you. Don't shrink the capability of God based upon the capability of you. Some of you are here today and you're like, Pastor Josh, I'm dealing with things that have a generational my dad faced it. My grandpa faced it. His dad faced it. Can I tell you, there's hope and healing at the cross. It's at the cross that things change. In the presence of God, no sin, no brokenness holds a candle to his power. So let's talk about why God does this. What it's not, why he doesn't. I tell you something, God's not looking for a better version of you. He's not looking for Josh Johnson 2.0. He's not looking for me to have just another spiritual merit badge to be proud of, to show off about how great and spiritually mature that I am. And it's not for us to be thankful for and then hide the fact that we ever faced it and act like we've never sinned and that we're just perfect. God doesn't do that. He doesn't redeem us. He doesn't restore us for those reasons. God does it for the same reason he does it for Moses and Pastor Clayton, you can kind of. You got a lot of these in your life. Might be your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, your neighbor. Might be that coworker that you've talked to for the last 22 years. They've faced some things in life and they've tried real hard. And they've tried to, after each time, straighten it out, go at it again. And you've watched their life continually just crush, repeat, crush, repeat. Do you realize that the reason that God speaks to Moses and sends him back is he says, I've seen, I've heard, I've witnessed the cries of the broken. And so Moses, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. God is not in the business of creating spectators. He is descending God. And when we're in God's presence, 
Can I tell you something? It forced Moses to turn aside, not just from his physical direction he was taking that day, but in every single aspect of his life. Today, God's challenging you and I to turn aside. Some of you have lived under generational brokenness, and today is the day of a start of a new journey. Some of you have declared and you have believed. You have spoken these things with your own mouth over your life. You have literally said with your own lips, God can't use me because. And God's saying today, please drop your evidence at the foot of the cross. Being in God's presence changed the way that Moses saw his past. Almost every reason that Moses could give God as to why God couldn't use him became evidence of why God could. Do you you catch that? God understood. Moses had intimate knowledge about Egyptian culture and how Pharaoh operated. He had spent time leading sheep, some of the most stubborn animals through the wilderness because he's going to lead some of the most stubborn people through the wilderness. He deeply knew the terrain and where he was going through. It's only in God's presence that our past can be redeemed and used for his glory. Today, the very thing at the top of your list for why you can't, can I tell you something? God can, and he will use it for his glory. Who better to reach someone who's hurting, broken, and feels like there's no hope than someone who has already been in that exact situation and watched God come through as the great I am? Because it was in the presence of God that Moses was called out of hiding, out of the shadows, to return to what God had put on his heart. It was an invitation to see and join in the plan of God. Would you stand with me this morning? I tell you something, the same God who is present in the burning bush is alive, he's active, and he's present today. He is the great I am, the God who still speaks, who still calls, and still uses broken people. There's a twofold invitation here. The first is this, what's your Egypt? What's your evidence? What's the thing that the second God always starts to speak You've got your excuse locked, loaded, and ready for why he can't use you. Can I plead with you today to come to the great I am, to trust that he's stronger, that he's greater, that he's more powerful than your past and your brokenness, and that he can use you for his kingdom. Secondly, what is God calling you to do? Or who is he calling you to that you feel incapable of being used? Maybe it's been months and God's been challenging you in a specific area. Hey, I want you to step up in here. I want you to, and today's the day. Today's the day where we put our excuses to the side and we say, okay, God, you know what? Okay, send me. Use me. Use me for your kingdom and your purpose. I plead with you. Trust the God who is I am. When we hide in the shadow of his wings, no matter what life sends our way, no matter what evidence the enemy wants to send against you, can I tell you something? When he has the reins of our life, that weight crushes under him. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I pray for every person in this building. Lord, that you would move in our hearts and lives today. God, I'm praying 
that there would be healing in this room. God, many of us, we've got, we've got people that are on our reach three, people that we are praying for and believing that God is going to use mightily. Lord, use us to bring to the kingdom. God, there are people who are lost, who are far from you. We've been praying for them some, quite some time. God, we pray that you would start to bring the prodigals, that you would start to see the lost and broken just come through these doors and come to know you. But God, we are not asking that you would use someone else. We're asking use us to reach them. God, send us. Let our excuses fall to the side. And would you use us, God, to reach a lost and broken world? In your name. Outside today, we have our Reach 3 packets. If you've never picked one up or if you haven't picked one up in a while, we'd really encourage you to pick one up. Also in the bulletin today, we have a little pamphlet talking about the importance of consistent reaching. Listen, there are people in our lives that need Jesus. And God is using us. So let's do that. Would you just please pick one of these up today and pray about who God's challenging you to reach. And let's be a church that is sharing good news to a world that's lost and broken.